Welcome to our ongoing series sponsored by Catholic Church Reform International. Our guest today is Bishop Bridget Mary Meehan, who's a Roman Catholic woman priest ordained in 2007, along with 12 other women. Welcome to the show, Bridget. Welcome to uh, a wonderful conversation, I am sure. Thank you. Uh, we were ordained in the first U.S. ordinations in 2006, July 31st, 2006, in Pittsburgh, uh, just just for the record. Well, good. So one year even longer. Fill us in on the circumstances that led you first to feel called to the priesthood and then the circumstances of your ordination. Sure. Well, I was born in Ireland and we lived in a tiny little cottage uh, in County Leash. And uh, my family was a very devoted family, uh, very spiritual. My mother led the rosary, the family rosary, around the um, hearth, our, you know, in, in uh, rural Ireland, we had a fireplace. And every night we concluded our time together with prayer. So my earliest memories were like of the saints and angels sort of were extended family members. And I grew up in a family that was very Catholic and very devoted uh, in Ireland for the first eight years of my life. And then we immigrated to the United States and I attended Catholic school and uh, felt really called to give my life in service to God as a sister. I, be, I entered the Immaculate Heart of Mary order in 1966 at the age of 18 with 90 other enthusiastic young women and uh, they are celebrating this year the 50th year of their their vows uh, making their first vows in 1969 so um always felt called to serve god in a special way felt a, a very close relationship to um the holy and um at the time I entered the convent, priesthood was certainly not an option. Uh, but later, what happened was, as I emerged in my ministry, I was called forth to uh, be part of a community um, doing liturgy and prayer in our um, in our little faith community. And through that experience of working with priests and with the people and praying together and sharing together, I came gradually to the awareness sort of unfolding that, you know, women were truly equals in ministry and called to do what men were doing. I worked at that time at Fort Myer Chapel and it was the army chaplaincy and they were very short priests in the 80s. And um, they wanted me to do communion services. And one occasion, I remember distinctly, um, the chaplain had said, now make sure, sister, you tell the people that this is not a mass. And I said, okay. So I told the people that we had a liturgy of the word, and then we skipped the Eucharistic part, the liturgy of the Eucharist, and went right to a communion service. And afterwards, I was saying goodbye to the people and thanking them for coming. And they said, thank you, sister, for the nice mass. And that sort of dawned on me that it really didn't matter to them uh, whether it was the male priest or me. They were celebrating the presence of Christ in their lives in Eucharist in community. And it was 
together that we were doing that. And it wasn't a male-female um, experience. It was a people of God experience and deep love for the Christ presence in and among us and around us everywhere. So that sort of dawned on me that, wow, if that ever was an opportunity for me, I might want to walk through that door. And during that time, I had a wonderful chaplain who's mentored me in very wonderful pastoral practices. And he um, provided an opportunity for me to get my doctorate of ministry degree. Uh, and so therefore I had the degree and I had the experience of pastoring, co-pastoring in a small Catholic community. So then came along the opportunity in 2006 uh, to become a Roman Catholic woman priest. I know that you didn't receive any formal excommunication right away because a woman priest is against canon law. I'm just curious, have you ever? Yes, uh, not formal, but it, the movement itself in 2002 started on the Danube with uh, seven women. And uh, pretty soon after that ordination, they did receive a formal excommunication. In fact, Gisela Forrester uh, thought that it, the paperwork that came was delivered on our back doorstep, and she thought it was part of the Sunday ads. She almost threw it away, so luckily she opened it, and actually it was done with a beautiful calligraphy. You know, they, the cardinals did it right in the Vatican. It's really the official excommunication. So in 2006, um, when I was ordained with 12 other women, eight women priests and four women deacons, I did media at that time for the movement. So I was prepared, you know, that they would excommunicate us because it was coming to the United States. Maybe they would act right away. Nothing happened. It took two years, almost two years for the Vatican to come out and say, not a, they didn't send us by that time, then by 2008, there were a number of American, US women who were ordained. They did not send individual excommunications, but they made a decree that said, by your very choice of being ordained, you are separating yourself from the church, uh, latte sententia. So I thought, well, really, this sounds like a fancy Starbucks drink, but actually we are not accepting that because we love the church. We are here because we want to renew and transform it into the vision of Jesus and the, and the early church. And we do not accept this. We are not only not leaving the church, we are leading the church into a new era of inclusivity and circular leadership and getting on board with contemporary theology, which people like Richard Rohr, Elizabeth Johnson, Derrimedo Marcou, uh, Joan Chittister, and many more wonderful, brilliant Catholic leaders have been espousing for years and years. So now the big challenge is how do you uh, educate and spiritually resource these inclusive communities because now we have approximately 265 members in 12 countries fast forward to 2019 and we in the United States we're in 34 states so we have inclusive communities and ministries going and what's exciting is people are interested in renewal and reform and and they are interested in 
uh, discussing the ideas that are going to form the foundation for this renewal. And that, of course, uh, means taking courses or programs to, to really move from medieval theology that's very sin-focused on original sin into a more open understanding of in the Holy One, in God, we are all loved. We are all one. We, in, in Jesus, he showed us the way by teaching the Beatitudes and showing what it means to embrace everyone in an open table. Jesus had an open table. People were welcome always and so we want to do the same and so our education piece is now happening through people's catholic seminary um two of us have founded mary Teresa streck and i have uh founded people's catholic seminary and we offer courses in contemporary theology and spirituality online at low cost to people who really want an interactive forum to really discuss and share their journey in these inclusive communities and inclusive ministries. So our women priests in the Association of Roman Catholic Women Priests have that as an option for their formation, for their growth, for their uh, preparation to be women priests. So it's a whole new, um, concept not just of living gospel equality uh, in line with Jesus, but then also meeting what are the contemporary needs today of 21st century Catholics in a world that's dynamic and open to change. As Sister Ilia Delio says, really what's important is we've got to change our medieval theology updated with bringing in the science and the ongoing evolutionary process of continual growth and openness to spirit moving in all of us and creation unfolding and address issues of ecology and earth healing and transformation of consciousness to the oneness, the mystical vision that's at the heart of Catholicism. Well, you know, there's a growing movement now for people gathering in homes in small faith communities. In my mind, much more like the early church. Sometimes when we're gathered like that, I wonder if Jesus would even recognize his church today. People gathering in large cathedrals with little knowledge of who each other is. And I just wonder if that is not the direction that the spirit is guiding us. I think very much so. When I started my ministry as a woman priest, I live in a mobile home in Florida, and um, I just did, uh, a member of our community called and said he had read, or he became a member of our community, but he called and said, when are you going to have mass? I read about this in the NCR. I said, Dick, when do you want to come? So. We had four people in 2006, December of 2006, come around my dining room table right before Christmas, and that began the Mary, Mother of Jesus, inclusive Catholic community in Florida. And then what happened with that, others joined us. We had maybe 12, 13 people on a Saturday come, you know, in my little house, and my dad played the sax. It was just so homey. 
And uh, we put a little notice in the paper. There were free notices you could put about, you know, all are welcome, Catholics who want to receive communion, who are divorced and separate LGBTQI, and all are welcome around this table to receive sacraments. So the bishop took offense by this, and he put his coat of arms in the paper and said, this is not a real mass, and condemned me, basically. What happened from that was uh, the bishop became the gift that keeps on giving. His opposition led to my house church overflowing. We had to get a larger home, and then the larger home didn't work either because so many people kept coming. So we then had rented a house, uh, rented a church, a, a sanctuary in Sarasota, St. Andrew United Church of Christ. And in 2008, by the time this all evolved, and uh, we have been there since, you know, 11 years in at St. Andrew United Church of Christ, because we grew and grew, and that's what happens. People start in small house churches, and sometimes what happens is they grow so much that they have to rent another place, a sanctuary or a hall or a bigger space, because as people find out about it, they want to be embraced in a circle of love as Catholics. Everyone belongs, everyone is the beloved of God, and no one is ever excluded. And I think that's the gift of the women priests movement that's going to rise, that's rising up and liberating Catholicism right now is an experience of inclusivity where all are welcome. You know, Due to the clergy sex abuse scandal, the hierarchy has lost much of the respect and admiration that it once held. And I'm sure that you have no aspirations of wanting to be part of the church hierarchy. But how do you and other women priests see your role, if not as part of that? That is such an important point, Renee. We see that we have to really focus on transforming that hierarchical patriarchal model. And how we do it, are, I'll share some ways. One of the ways is, first of all, in the Association of Roman Catholic Women Priests, the bishop's only role, basically, is spiritual uh, to ordain women called to orders. Uh, we are a member of the circle. We have no more authority or power over the members than any other member of the association. In our communities, we are in a circle of equals. So our model is we are a discipleship of equals today as women priests. And in our faith communities and ministries, we form a discipleship of equals. Now, if you were to come to our liturgies, you say, well, how is that different? Well, at Mary, Mother of Jesus in Florida, for example, um, the people are invited to uh, have a shared homily. Uh, we open up the homily reflection. The a liturgist, who's uh, the ordained lots of times, sometimes not. We have non-ordained liturgist um, presiders. Uh, they open up the homily starter to the community to share their thoughts. So one, the people get to share their thoughts in most Catholic churches, that does not happen. Uh, many times because they have massive numbers, but still they have no one outside the clergy doing uh, homilies and we do. 
Number two, because we're around 20 to 40 people, because in Florida we're seasonal, you know, in the winter everybody flocks to Florida, in the summer they leave. So we, we go back and forth, but our community um, comes around the table where we celebrate Eucharist and everyone prays the prayer of consecration, the entire community. So it's returning the rightful role of the church as body of Christ call to celebrate Eucharist, the Christ presence on the table, around the table, in the word proclaimed and in every single person and in all creation. So it's actually, um, you know, as Richard Rohr in his new book, Universal Christ, has explained, this is the beauty and the, of the mystical tradition that is now taking root in a whole new way today, that it's so much more than we ever imagined, that this presence is all-encompassing, that we call the Christ presence. So we live it out in a circular way in our liturgies, and we return the role of celebrating Eucharist to the people. Now, the liturgist or the ordained, uh, or whoever the presiding team is, they prepare each week's liturgy. And um, because we're now, you know, we've had experience since 2006 to 2019, we have all kinds of beautiful inclusive liturgy templates. And people can, we will help people write, write them, or we have many of them that people have access to. The women priest movement have access to these beautiful liturgies that they share. Um, a number of years ago, I wrote inclusive worship aids. I gathered them from my own writing and reflection, these liturgies. So people can get that from Amazon. They can get it on Kindle if they want. But right now, the um, members of the association are also thinking about putting all our resources together in a new publication and putting it on Kindle or, or devices that we can share with the community. And they'll really be just templates for different seasons, Advent, Lent, Easter. So we'll just put out resources that have fed us and nurtured us and with permission to for people in communities and ministries to adapt and then continue to evolve and grow as more people input this, we can make expanded resources. So it's a very dynamic, open process of saying what's your faith experience of this all-embracing, inclusive liturgical celebration, and, and then open it up, share the resources we have right now, continue to create more, and then be open to more and more being created by the wisdom of the people of God and the Christ presence in their experience. So much of what you describe is based on inclusivity, that we sing all are welcome, but you really mean it, all are welcome. We do. Tell us just a little bit more about the, the movement itself and the vision and mission of the women priest movement where do you see yourselves going well right now it seems like in the institutional church there's such a block uh as we watch the amazon senate unfolding right now uh the women the superiors general representatives cannot vote so in an institutional roman catholic church where women's voices and decision-making are excluded. We see our primary role right now is to lead as Catholics 
in a renewed, reformed uh, church, that we're one with the billion plus Catholics worldwide in creating something new, very much rooted in the Jesus vision and the early church experience of open to the spirit presence as a dynamic event, moving us forward in deeper love, greater compassion, and really working together beyond all boundaries for justice, justice in the church, justice in the world. It's all one. The mystical social justice tradition and the beautiful sacramental tradition of Catholicism is such a rich legacy that we want to pass on in a new, renewed way. So I think our job basically, Renee, is to lead the church forward by living it now. We know that the institution seems resistant, but our job is not to criticize them, is not to worry about what they're doing, although it it really is sad when we think women are continuing to be excluded from decision-making in our church today. But our job is to lead and live it by doing it with progressive Catholics who are ready, who want to form a renewed church, who are, who are not giving up, who are not walking away, because we, the people, are the church. You talk about the resistance to the institutional church. I'm not sure that this even matters. but. Do you see women priests ever being openly accepted by the institutional church in our lifetime? I don't know. Right now, there is such a resistance uh, to that. And uh, although there are glimmers of hope among some of the bishops saying we've got to move with women deacons, well, because and and the superiors general of all these communities, the, the nuns throughout the world, who are already really ministering as deacons. They're baptizing, they're doing all the diaconate work. So, you know, I see that as a hopeful, but I also see that there's tremendous institutional resistance. And I also think a different model and a different theology is needed. Uh, what would you do, you know, if women were accepted right now as the institution is, as patriarchal as it is, it's a domination model. And it's very, you know, that males are on top and, and you would have to go through layers to even get to anything inclusive. And it's not just about, it's especially not about clergy, it's about the whole people. It's our baptismal equality. See, we, we, really live as one with the people. We are facilitators of liturgy, but we return the power and the call to to worship and to celebrate sacraments to the whole people. Well, all this, it's radical revisioning to go back to the gospel and the early church and to do it in contemporary theology. That all needs to happen. All this needs to happen. Right now, the institutional church is not prepared to make all those changes. Uh, even if they ordained women, it still would be into a hierarchical model that's, that puts the clergy on top and the people on bottom. That's not acceptable because we are one in Christ. There is no division by our baptism. So you have different roles, but one cannot be dominant in making the decisions and excluding everyone else. You've got to create a big circle 
or lots of circles where the input and the wisdom of the whole people of God is taken into a sieve and the role they discern, you know, the creme rises to the top and it's it's the beauty of love and justice seeking and compassion. What is promoting the spirit today? And what does it mean to be Catholic? Does it mean to be all embracing universal or all are one and all are welcome? That's the Catholicism that we are passionate about. So I'm saying that right now the church is not ready for all of that change, but we're taking one step at a time. And I think the first step is grassroots communities that are inclusive with inclusive ministries. You build and build and build that. And then finally you change that hierarchical male dominant model to be one that opens up to the giftedness of the entire people of God and calling forth and acknowledging and affirming in public ways the ministries of the whole people of God. Why is there only ordination of priests and deacons? Don't you think we should have steps where we call forth the gifts and lay hands on different ministries in the community and acknowledge them as equally important? You know, look at all the people who give themselves in healing professions, you know, nurses and so many different social workers and many, many, many zillions of uh, different functions. Why aren't we not holding those up and doing rituals of support and prayer and calling forth these gifts? and affirming these gifts as part of the body of Christ that's equally and beautifully a manifestation of divinity in our times. So, so much needs to change, but you know, you take one step at a time and we are taking the step of leading in creating a more welcoming, inclusive church. How do we inspire and motivate the grassroots that you talk about to feel the freedom and the recognition that God is speaking directly to them and through them, that they don't have to wait for Father to tell them what's okay to do. How do we get the, the grassroots up and moving, speaking out and taking a leadership role in our church? Until that happens, we will stay stuck in the mud. Yeah, I think you pointed to exactly where so many Catholics are today. I think a piece of it is religious experience. I will say one of the things that freed me up in my life was the charismatic renewal in the 70s. I was part of a prayer community. Uh, when we prayed, we prayed to be open to the gifts of the Holy Spirit for each of us and for the manifestations in the community. That helped me to let go of, okay, the God in the box that the hierarchy control is not the only God here. It's not the only expression of divinity. Oh my God, you mean Protestants are proclaiming the word of God that will knock your socks off? You know, I went to a charismatic renewal in Augusta, Georgia with my faith community. Then I was stationed in St. Peter's in Decatur. And I will never forget, it was All Saints weekend and the preaching of Derek Prince and the preaching of the awareness of the preaching of the word of God coming alive in preaching like I had never heard in a Catholic setting. And I thought, 
Oh, and oh my gosh, this is so powerful. It became alive. And the other thing that became alive was the joy of worship. You know, there's so much joy and praise and and love in that assembly. You know, it's around I, a couple thousand people. So that opened my mind that God is not Roman Catholic and Jesus was Jewish. And let's get God out of my little world box. And that freed my spirit. Then I, I took a master's degree at Catholic University, and that opened me up to the academic, to the church history. Church history is liberating. If you really know the church history of the Kyriarchal Church, you know, it's triple X-rated. So, okay, so you realize there's lots of holes and lots of wounds and lots of sin in that box. So they don't have a corner on God or the truth. So we stay open to discern. Does it draw me deeper into compassion, love, doing justice? And that frees me up to say, oh, my conscience must be my guide. Well, actually that's church teaching Catholics of the world that you must follow your conscience, even if it conflicts with church teaching. See, so Catholics then all of a sudden, okay, you mean we can limit the number of children we have because that's a holy decision and love to make, to take care of them, to provide for them. Wow, yes, you're free to do that. And yes, you may receive sacraments because you've asked yourself the bottom line moral question. What is the most loving thing we can do for our relationship, family, and for the world? That is, that. You know, that's partly it. And that's why I'm so excited about People's Catholic Seminary because we are trying to use, uh, you know, the people I said, Elizabeth Johnson and all, Richard Rohr, Sister DeLilio, all these fabulous theologians, they've done the work, Margaret Farley, they've done the work. So we're incorporating their thoughts and, and Joseph Martos, excellent theologian on sacramental theology. So that's what we teach. Bridget, Mary, Mian, thank you so much for being a guest on today's show. And I ask you to continue the good work that you're doing and to inspire other women to do the same. Thank you so much. Thank you, Renee. Namaste. Blessings. <laughs>